What's up, y'all? You have tuned in to Gumbo Nights with Miss Handy. This is a special episode of Conversations. We've got a very special guest that I know that you are going to enjoy listening to. But if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're a returning listener, well, welcome back, y'all. This episode is Taking Care of Business, and our special guest is Miss Nia Richardson. But you're going to learn all about Nia right after this short message, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our conversation. Thank you for joining me for this very special episode. Our guest today is Nia Richardson. Nia is a resident of Kansas City, Missouri. She also works for the city managing the KC BizCare office. She and her staff advocate for local businesses and help them to navigate processes involved in registering their businesses, obtaining permits, and licensing their business. She is a mom, a careerist, and she's very active in the community, has served on several boards and commissions in the past, and currently serves on the Visit KC Board, as well as the Central City Economic Development Board. Welcome to the podcast, Nia. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but we're going to start off with the things that you do at work. And I know, I know that you juggle a lot of things. You're always busy, but you actually had a role in your family business, a previous role. So what led you to transition from that to your current role with the city of Kansas City? I got recruited. Um, the opportunity, um, you know, I was working uh, with my dad. Um, he has a civil and structural engineering business that he started when I was probably like five years old. Um, over the years, as he grew or, or needed support, um, things kind of transitioned in our family, especially with my mom and her job. And she eventually ended up working for my dad, and she still does to this day as the office manager. So she kind of helped get things organized and cleaned up on the back end so he could kind of move forward. Um, when I came home from college, I started working with my dad, and then I got recruited from the city, from my dad to the city. Um, while doing some work out in the community um, around the Central City Economic Development, the, the sales tax that was passed in 2017 and working on that campaign. And so my now boss saw me presenting um, in an urban summit meeting and then this position became available. And so, he, you know, he kind of tugged on me and said, hey, would you be interested in interviewing for this? So I tried it. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I went after a role that I felt like I can just you know, authentically be myself. I didn't really have anything to lose. I didn't have to kind of fake it. And I was very direct and open with, hey, here's what I think small businesses need. Here's what I think that you guys need to kind of improve at. And here's what I think that I can do. Now, if you want me to do that, hire me. If you don't, hire somebody else. So that was my attitude going in. Because I know at the end of the day, I just go back and work for my dad. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think he wanted me to leave in the first place. But still, it was it was the opportunity to know that I can not only help him, but I can help a bunch of other small businesses in Kansas City, um, because I, I felt like I just had an understanding from the other side, what it looks like and how, what the barriers are for small businesses. And now being on the inside, 
I can now see it from a different angle and say, okay, what do I need to remove out the way from both ends so that our small businesses can be successful and the city itself can be open for business um, altogether. So that was one going to be my next question is how did you, how did your how did your dad or your mom how did they feel about you leaving after you'd been there for so many years? Um, you know, I told my mom first and you know, I just told her I was kind of looking into it and and um then when I finally came around to telling my dad, he took it a little hard. Um it took him a while to really understand or just know okay, why are you doing this? Well, you know, it really, it was the money, but it wasn't. But, you know, I'm a mother of three. I'm a head of household now. You know, I need to make enough money to support my household and my children um, and not be dependent on the cold parent. Um, I need to get the proper insurance for my children. You know, uh, working for a small business, it was a struggle because small businesses can't afford the type of insurance benefits that I could get from here at the city. Um, and so having, you know, one of my children, he's type one diabetic, so he's gonna be insulin dependent the rest of his life. He requires a lot of expensive equipment and insulin and things to check his blood with, you know. And so I need a good insurance to cover that. And so that was a lot that uh, weighed on my decision besides the pay. Um, but I had to really, you know, let my father know like, hey, there's an opportunity here and I feel like I can really do this. and. Today, I think he understands more about what I do now, two years into this role, but beforehand, he didn't really get it. And now it's so crazy now that we run into each other in different conversations or I'm being brought up in conversations that he's in and he's learning more about what I do or we were in a meeting together and I got to present some of the stuff that I did. And, and afterwards, after I got to present it, he was like, well, it's nice to know what you do with the city. And I was like, yeah, you know, dad, I, I try. I try. But I think now he's, he's opened up to it. Um, I definitely didn't leave him hanging. You know, I, I definitely try to make sure I transition someone into my role. I'm always there if he needs me to. I live across the street from the man. If he really wanted me to find me and, and make me work, he knows how. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty convenient then to be right across the street. Yeah, right across the street from. So it's convenient for me, for grandparents. Like, hey, go to your grandparents' house. Right, right. <laughs> So you've talked about some of the transitioning things that you did, but what was the most challenging part? Or was there anything that was challenging about actually changing from your role to where you are now? I would say the most challenging part was convincing my father. Um, he did not want to let go. Um, and I, I had to really let him know, like, I'm not gone. I'm out learning new skills, creating new um uh, partnerships and making new connections and hopefully you know if I come back because I don't want to leave the business hanging you wanted me to take over and be that legacy for you I'm more than happy to do so but it's limited for me because I'm not an engineer um, I, I'm actually practicing what I went to school for so you know I'm applying all those things and I was applying all those things when I was with him but I would say the hardest part for me was transitioning when it came to transitioning was you know getting my father to a level where he was okay and he was not heartbroken over it anymore. I really felt like he was so heartbroken that I was leaving and we were just getting to that point to where we were doing more things together. We were being featured together. You know, I was I was his backbone um, and I loved it. You know, I love being behind the scenes, um, but I still do that for my father in this role. And so I think I've given him that level of reassurance now, but it took two years to really get to this point. So that was the hardest part because it took a two, it was two years to transition that. Okay. And you've been on your or in your role now for, I guess, a little over two, two years, years now. Yeah. I started in November 2018. 
Okay. So what drives your passion that you have for helping and supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses? Um, I mean, I just have a passion for helping. Um, I guess that's my love language. Um, helping people, you know, moving them to the next level, you know, just just the, the, the tone of people's voices, just that sigh of relief. It's like somebody finally can talk to me. Somebody understands what I'm trying to say. Somebody is helping me move to the next step is, is what drives me. Um, my biggest driver, of course, you know, I, I would, my, my ultimate goal is to change the course of black folks, of black people, of, of a black community, um, of our outcomes, close that racial wealth gap in our community. Um, and I believe that the, the, the quickest way we can do that is through entrepreneurship and of course through home ownership. And that's how we help close the racial wealth gap. Um, owning a home is, is one battle and, and that's actually something I've been definitely working on too to see how we provide better access and up to affordable home ownership. Um, but I'm also, you know, what I do in my everyday job is all about entrepreneurship and how do I help our Kansas City entrepreneurs you know, get on board and from becoming informal, meaning they operated under the radar. They weren't licensed. They didn't have their registration done. They were just doing, you know, going about their daily business. Um, to now being, you know, becoming licensed and being registered and being structured, um, being legal. <laughs> and, you know, in COVID-19, we, we saw a lot of people, we are seeing a lot of people shifting to becoming licensed and registered with the state and licensed with the city of Kansas City. Uh, because they're trying to access capital and they're trying to save their businesses and they didn't realize that they had to do all these different things at first because there was really no one out there to tell them these different things and so like i said i've only been with the city for two years but casey bizcare has been around since 2009 since the last recession that we had and has evolved over those years and, and since i've been here i'm trying to evolve it another shift and you know take it to another level and so since i've been here we pivoted virtually so we have that virtual one-stop shop, but things like that, knowing that I can help build and create programs, tools, um, things that are really helping people today is, is what really drives me every morning. And it, it, it helps when you go through other things in life, knowing that you're working somewhere, you're helping someone is that sigh of relief, is that therapy, is, is all those different things to keep you going. So you mentioned that some of the things that minority-owned businesses were facing, one, they weren't licensed, which was preventing them from getting funding and access to capital. But what are some of the other unique challenges that minority and even women-owned businesses face inside and out of COVID-19? Um, I would say it applies to all businesses, whether you're women-owned or minority, um, particularly minority, women minority-owned businesses. Um, we don't have the back office support. Um, a lot of times when people are starting businesses, they're just starting. They're not thinking about, oh, I need an accountant. Oh, I need an attorney. I need someone to really advise me on the best way to structure my business based off my idea. Um, have I done the proper work to do my business planning to know what am I doing? How does my competition look? How am I going to sell? Where do, where's the best place to sell? You know, what strategies do I have to grow my business? Um, do I have the right relationships that can make me capital ready or contract ready? And, you know, during COVID-19, when we did the survey of small and minority businesses in Kansas City, we found that um, those who had banking or business association relationships were 38% more likely to access capital. And they asked for 8.3 times more money than those who did not. 
And so we found that relationships were essential for the success of our businesses, whether you're minority, women, small, whatever, especially if you're just starting out, you really need that expertise behind you. You need that team to get you to the next level. Because I get, like I got calls today, everybody's asking about, you know, how do I get some, how do I get capital? Well, do you have a bank? Yes. Do you know your banker? No. You might want to start there. Build that relationship. Um, the bankers are there for a reason. That's their job. And you can't get a loan if, unless they know your business and can sell it so that these people who say, okay, we can approve their loan, give them the okay to give you the okay to give you the money. And so I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of building those essential relationships, knowing your banker, having a relationship with your banker, having an accountant, whether it's somebody you know that just knows accounting, just having those basic understanding, having an attorney to understand how to best structure your business so you can know where you can take your business or how you can grow your business from there. Because a lot of those things impact how you do your taxes, liability, whether I sue you personally or I sue your business. Like all of that plays a big part. And it's very, very important for you to get you know, straight in the beginning so you're not trying to fix those things later on because that can be very, very expensive. So it's just getting started and getting the essential relationships is what all businesses need, but particularly our minority and women businesses need the most because they're not born or given the privilege of having access to these type of individuals in their everyday life. You know, that's why it's so important to build that village. And a village is what I had growing up. I knew someone who was accountant. I knew attorneys. I knew doctors. All people who were within my small ecosystem or knew my parents or were elders of mine, these are people that I can call on to, but I realized not a lot of people around me had access to that. And that's generally what an ecosystem or a village is. And so having access to those resources are vitally essential for any entrepreneur to be successful, whether they're starting or whether they're growing. So I'm glad that you're talking about those relationships because it brings me to my next question. I know that you have benefited from, in, in knowing you, some amazing collaborations that have helped you to be able to do more things for businesses. So if you had to rate like on a scale of one to 10, what value would you give to collaborations in terms of the ways that you've been able to help support business? How valuable are they to you and what you do? I wouldn't be able to do it without them. Um, I wouldn't have that virtual one-stop shop, this new platform, this new CRM system of you know ways for us to get data without partnerships um, and collaborations. Um, I wouldn't have programming to support our businesses without our partners. Um, I can't do it all alone and, and our office only does so much and that's where we're trying to stay. We're trying to stay in, in what we know and what we have the capability of doing and you know, not interrupting our partners or, or the ecosystem itself um, so that we can really support our entrepreneurs. But you need partners. You need to collaborate in order to take it to a different level or to really be impactful in what you're doing. It's you shouldn't always try to take everything on yourself. I don't want to do everything. I don't I don't want to do all these things. I just want to be able to point you in the right direction and, and give you what we need, but make sure that I can move you along the trail of this ecosystem, you know, for starting your business. Um, where I believe the city is the center point of that. Um, so collaborations were very, very key and have been very, very essential for me in the success of in my role. I, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of these things or present a lot of you know what we what you're gonna to see today. Or what you have seen, you know, when, since working with me without those collaborations. I would just still be here doing the traditional everyday biz care work 
we wouldn't be able to have taken it to the next level. We probably wouldn't be able to be as responsive in COVID-19 without it. We needed it. So for people who aren't really comfortable or used to, to doing collaborations and partnerships, you know, especially when we're talking about minority-owned businesses, a lot of us are not used to being able to work with people who don't look like us. And I know that is something right. that's just a part of it. So what have you done or how have you been able to build bridges with people who don't look like us? Honestly, um, that's the majority of the people that I work with <laughs> when it comes to collaborations. Uh, we're not running a lot of these organizations. Um, and there are times when, you know, I bump heads with people. Um, there are times where, and a lot of it, the bumping head is because I'm kind of calling them out in the most polite way that I can say, hey, this is not, this doesn't work. Let me tell you why. Um, and having to go in the room and be a representative for us is one of the hardest weights or the heaviest weights to carry. But it's necessary because without it, we wouldn't get what we need because we can't expect others to understand our plight, our needs. And I don't expect them to, nor do I look for them to give me the answers. But when I give you the answer, I expect you to respond and implement. Now, if you don't do that, then that's when we start to bump heads. And, you know, I, I'm learning working with people who don't look like us that, you know, this reality check of, hey, there's no equity in this. There's no diversity in this. There's a lack of cultural competency in this. And you're really borderline poverty pimping my community from this. And that's not okay. And I'm gonna call you out on it. So stop, provide us real impactful services. Stop finding ways just to pay yourself. That's the benefit and the joy that I have for working for the city. It's not, what I do is not about how do I pay myself. What I do is about how I, I help businesses. I'm taken care of. So if I go after anything, any grants or anything, it has nothing to do with my pay. And it goes 100% into the programs and the resources that our businesses need. Now, understanding that these, some of these organizations need that, of course, they have to pay themselves. They have to pay them staff, their staff and things like that. But I shouldn't see all the money going to that versus actually to the people who it needs to benefit. And so a lot of times, you know, for Kansas City, I just, in this role, I've just seen a plethora of entrepreneurial support organizations that claim to help us and I have not seen the impact of that. And so I feel like as a city, I need to be in a position to say, you're doing this well or you're not, or here's how you do it better. And I expect you to respond to that. And if you don't, then we have our conversations from there. But it's like, I don't really have any advice of how to deal with it. All you can do is be honest. And some people will work with you and those who don't move on. I've just moved to the next one. You know, I'm in a different position. I don't, I don't necessarily need you. So that gives me the advantage of saying, okay, we're not working well together. Let me move on to the next person who I can work well with because they will they will see the value in me being at the table with them. And so if someone doesn't see that value, go to another table or remove them from your table if it's yours. Now, I'm quite sure that has to be, and maybe not for you, but for some people, they would say, well, well that's a really a big, a tough stance to take. And you got to have a lot of courage and confidence to be able to do that. So yeah. where do you get that from? What What gives you the strength and the power to be able to say this to these folks that have been able to do this forever and just not paying attention to the things that matter to our community? Um, I think I've, I've learned the courage and I've learned to be more secure in, in 
in what I have to say and in, you know, um, addressing our issues with, with folks that do not look like us. Um, just from before I worked with the city, um, you know, I watched my parents do it. Um, they've been doing it all their lives. I, I've watched them fight and fight and fight. Um, you know, more people more so see my father, but my mother's on the back end because she's very introverted, but she's fighting, fighting, fighting as well. So I got, I got to watch it from both my parents to speak up and speak loud. Um, so I, I have big shoes to fill. It would, it would be a surprise if I didn't speak, um, if you knew my family, if you knew my father. But it started from there. It's just, it's just how I was raised. I was always raised to speak up. I've always been outspoken. Um, I'm kind of known for that, and I'm okay with it. Um, I used to get caught up with the whole nicknames that people would give me, you know, um, you know, I'm the problem child or, you know, the angry black woman at the table. And that's okay. But that means you hear me. But I get only get aggressive when I feel like you're ignoring me. And I think now with these times that we're in, it makes it a little bit easier because it makes it a little bit harder for them to dismiss me. Because before they could dismiss you very easily and you would have to fight harder to get to regain the attention and to make your point and to get them to move. Now it's a little bit easier, but you still have those people who feel like they know it and they're doing it. And when you give them a reality check, no, it is what it is. You, you gotta learn how to hold a straight face, say it and hold a straight face and don't, don't retract it. Mm. Let them stumble. They'll eventually come around but be okay with the uncomfortable silence. I had to learn to be okay with that. Be Say what you need, say what you say, and say what you mean, and be okay with the uncomfortable silence. I said what I said, that's that's all it is. Just remember that, I said what I said. <laughs> so in addition to the angry black woman, cause of course, you know, we all get that, you know, anytime we have a voice, but what other roadblocks or assumptions have you come across again in those types of situations when you're working with people who aren't black and and you may have already talked about this but how have you navigated those roadblocks and assumptions any special things that you do to get prepared for that or even after those tough conversations um i, I prepare my notes prepare my data um you give me data, I aim, I shoot, and you can't deny data. Um, everything else is an opinion, but when you put the facts out, it's hard for people to fight. So, for example, when people say, well, why are you, why do you say things where it just only focus on black people or black businesses? Well, because according to the racial wealth gap, black people are the only ones on track to having zero to negative wealth by 2082 or 2052. I can't remember which one it was, but it's coming. Like, it's our children are going to see it. We might still be around to see it. Who knows? This vaccine might let us live 20 more years. But some of us are already there. Like, I went and looked up my personal network, and I was like, whoa, I'm already there at the negative, right? When you look at my assets or my non-assets or what bills I have and things like that, most of us are already there. We don't even realize it. So if you give me the data, really, don't arm me with the data, because if you give it to me, I'm going to shoot it. But when I get the data and I do my research and I come prepared, I've served on several boards where I was the youngest. I might look like the youngest because that's another thing that I get pushed up against. I'm, I'm perceived as a millennial. And I was like, I'm about to be 40 years old this year. I am not a millennial. Um, I know what I'm talking about. And not that they don't, but don't, don't, don't put those stereotypes on me as if I'm coming in here with my hand out expecting to get everything that, like they do about millennials, these stereotypes that they put out there about millennials. Um, and so I make sure that I'm prepared with my facts. I do my research and I never have a problem with writing it down. 
what they can't deny is that when you come prepared to the table and you got it written down and they say, oh, well, well, what do you think about this? Here, here's my suggestions. I wrote them all down for you. Because at that point, if it's written down, it exists. And they can't say it doesn't exist. Or you mentioned it and we forgot about it. No. Boom. Email. Let me do, let me start tracking my trail. Documentation is key. And being prepared is key. And you will always shut them down if you are prepared and you come with the facts and you come ready to go. Just always be ready. So I hope you all are taking this great advice. That is excellent <laughs> advice. Make sure you are always prepared no matter who is in the room. Mm-hmm. Have you faced anything surprising since you you switched to this side of business advocacy? You know, I wasn't really sure of, well, as far as business advocacy goes, no, I'm not surprised. I can't, I can't say that I am. Um, you have an idea about how money is spent, where it's going, who it's going to. Being on this side, I can see it. Um... So I'm not necessarily surprised by anything as of right now that I can think of. Um, I think, you know, some of the things that I talked about earlier with, you know, dealing with other folks that don't look like us, um, especially in this this industry, this realm, um, from this side, that was, it wasn't a surprise, but it became a hurdle to me. And I had to learn how to approach that differently so that I could keep moving. Um, because if I'm always butting heads with you and looking like I'm fighting, you know, it can be perceived that, you know, I'm just confrontational. You know, I just, I can't do this X, Y, Z. And so I had to learn, I had to take some some lessons that I learned from the city about, you know, management or supervision and how you talk to people, how you approach people and how you get them to move the way you want them to move. And there's strategies to that and still get your point across. And so actually the, the training that I got from the city was probably more surprising to me that what they provided for me as a manager, as a supervisor, and then I just applied those same skills with how I approach difficult conversations, difficult people, um, critical you know, conversations or things like that. I took those same skills and how I approach people who I feel like might be a little difficult for me to communicate with, but I still got a job to do and I need to get it done. I still have businesses who are relying on me. So I need you to get in line and get it right. And so it's, it's just helped me to communicate differently take a different approach. And as I've gotten older, I've definitely taken a calmer approach. There's sometimes I do get hype and I have to get on people, but I want them to know that I'm, I'm up, I'm still awake, I can still hear you, but I'm learning different tacks of how to approach different things, different situations, different conversations. And I was actually surprised to get that training from the city and now I'm applying it to just everything that I do, whether it's my work or outside of the city. Now, that training that you got, how has it helped you even internally with maybe your own staff? Have you utilized it in that way? And how has it helped you or benefited you? Um, helped me to better organize, um, you know, not not having worked for a government agency before and coming from a small business background. Um, there are a lot more tools that they give you um, that you can utilize, you know. And, and my sister, she's a supervisor. She used to work for my dad, too. She eventually left. And... Um, um, does child advocacy work, you know, kind of like what I do for small business, what she does to help children in, in difficult situations or in troubled families. And so we both were exchanging supervisor or supervisory training or leadership or, you know, just how to attack critical conversations and things like that. Some of that we were learning a little bit when we were working for my dad, but it became bigger because now we are different. We are dealing with different people, um, different races than what we were normally typically used to dealing with um, working for my dad. And 
um, different age groups. There's just it's, it was all different. We got a bigger, diverse variety of, of what we dealt with, and we had to learn how to exchange that that information with each other. But um, what I learned from the city, you know, definitely I applied it to what I do in my everyday here. How do I get better organized as a supervisor? How do I communicate better to staff? How do I help build morale? How do I get the team to work with me? Coming in, I, I'm probably younger than anybody in this office. Um, and for my staff, I was younger. You know, my staff had been in the city 20 years or more. Um, here I am, I'm new, and then I'm probably 20, 30 years their senior, you know, younger than them. Um, and so I had to take some of the things that I learned from working with my dad, because I, I was used to working with people who were older than me, and apply that and then take the training that I got from the city and say, okay, how do I communicate in a way where I'm staying in line with what the city needs me to do, and you know, I'm, I'm tiptoeing around any cases, <laughs> any lawsuits, but I'm still being effective with my staff and getting them to get on board to say, hey, I know I'm coming and I'm making a lot of changes and I'm, I'm pushing a lot of new things, but I want you to I want you to ride with me on this one. And I'm not trying to push over anyone, um, but you know, it taught me how to be open in communication, take good feedback, um, walk with people, you know, meet them where they are and see how we can, you know, build this way. And so far, so good. Um, you know, even though I have a small team, I get along with my team very, very well. Hopefully they have nothing negative to say about me. But even the team that I don't directly supervise in this office, you know, I get along with them well. And, and you know, I work with their supervisor very well. And, you know, we work together to, to keep the morale in this office as good as we can, we can get it to be right now. The last question I have is just about that leadership. Okay. And from what I know about you, I know you're definitely a strong leader, and I'm sure my audience can tell by the way you're talking. This really is the truth. She is a strong leader. But in your opinion, what makes a great leader? It's a lot of things that make a great leader. Um, you know, a great leader needs to be open to listening, open to learning. Um, you can't know everything. You're not going to know everything. Um, but a great leader needs to have a strong enough backbone to make a stance and to defend. Um, a lot of times how you win, how I was able to win the, the, um, the gratitude or the, just, just anything from the staff, whether they were my direct staff or not, was that I fought for them. Um, I went to back for them. Um, I, I did my best to protect them. I openly communicated, um, if there was ever an issue, I tried to address it and do it the best way I knew how. But I would say like your biggest quality as a leader is, you know, being open to listening to people, knowing that you're not always right and being being available to solve a problem. Because that's really what leadership is all about. It's like, can I solve a problem? Can I move people? How do I, you know, gather people, get the morale up? Um, and that's something I'm learning every single day. I read all type of leadership books. I talk to my dad a lot. Um, you know, I take a lot of lessons from him and what he does. And he's definitely exposed me to a lot of different types of training, you know, while I worked with him. Um, but I, I don't know that there's one person, and I said it before, it was one important one, but I, I can't think of just one. It's, there's a variety of different things. And I really, it, it really has to do with the person, who they are how open they are to, to different things because your personality is going to have a big part in that. Um, but again, can you fight for the people? Can you move the people? Can you solve problems? Can you listen? Can you, um, you know, control your emotions um, when trying to deal with 
difficult situations that may involve you. Um, not being on a defense all the time, just being open to what other people's sides are, opinions. Um, and, you know, leadership and these type of qualities are not just in work, like that's in your everyday life. And I think I've learned so much more from leadership on the job that I can apply to relationships, whether it's marriage, friends, you know, boyfriends, whatever. It's a lot of that applies um, when you're dealing with people. And so it can, it can really be a value anywhere and so you can be a leader in a relationship or you can be a leader in an organization or you can do both but a lot of those skills are applied for both and i've been trying to utilize that as i get older the more that i learn and you know what i i so agree with you because there's so many things that we learn and if we take the time to sit and think about it just like you said i can use that with my family members i can use it with my friends i can use it with my team I can use it with my supervisor or manager. So I hope that you all are listening and, and listening to this advice because these are some of the things that I may have also said here on the podcast because I talk about a lot of stuff, including leadership. But we're going to transition out of these career questions and take a little short break. And we're going to say, have some questions about Kansas City. back with part two of our conversation with Nia Richardson and we're going to talk about Kansas City for a little bit Kansas City Missouri because there is a distinction y'all for those who don't know there's a Kansas City Missouri and there's a Kansas City Kansas and we are in Kansas City Missouri so I know Nia's laughing because there's so many entertainers that when events were happening they would come to Kansas City and get on stage and they say what's up Kansas this is not Kansas (laughs) Is Kansas City, Missouri? We you off that stage. Yeah, yeah we, we, we we don't. That, stage, we, no, that, di- that distinction is very important, even though it's just a few minutes <laughs> between the two cities. It's important. So, <laughs> if you wonder why I'm <laughs> highlighting that, that's why, y'all. So, Nia, what's something that people who aren't from Kansas City should know about Kansas City? Kansas City is authentic. Um, we are not oversaturated. Um, we have great opportunity for growth. Um, culturally, you know, there's a lot of races here in Kansas City. Um, you know, I was I was surprised to know that, you know, there were 32 countries from Africa represented in Kansas City alone. Oh, I didn't know that um, either. Yeah, 32. Um, and I thought that was amazing. I know of, you know, a few of them. Um, my father was chief by the Nigerian community. So I was like, oh, okay, this is great. But I didn't know it was so many. Um, so we're so culturally diverse um, as far as being a melting pot for different um, races or, or, or cultures in Kansas City. Um, but that reflects in our small businesses, that reflects in our cultural districts, um, that reflects in our art, that reflects in a lot of things that we do. And you know, even though Kansas City is one of the most segregated cities in America, as a lot of cities are, I guess they're finally realizing um, we are rich in history, um, and we're fighting against that. And this, you know, within this past year, we've had some strong fights to change a lot of things in Kansas City culturally and race-wise um, for the better advancement of Black people and, and our contributions to Kansas City. Um, Kansas City is a great place to live as far as you know the cost of living goes. It's affordable, very, very affordable. 
Um, there are a lot of opportunities job-wise. So, you know, I'm usually a person that people will point to and say, hey, go talk to me if you want to, if you're interested and you, you got a job offer in Kansas City. So I try to recruit people to Kansas City and say, hey, come here, be with us. Who do you want to know? Um, you can know the right people. You can not know the right people in Kansas City. You, you could be in two totally different worlds depending on who you know. It might be three totally different worlds. It really depends on who you know. But what I love most about Kansas City is I can touch. I can touch people. I can touch my mayor. I can touch my congressman. If there's something I really want to fight for, it's not hard to connect or get to in front of those people. Um, whether I had the connections or not, I still think that it wouldn't be so hard to find them. And I've seen a lot of people come into Kansas City and immediately walk into those spaces, not realizing that that's something they couldn't even do at home where they're from. So I would say Kansas City is just open for opportunity. And that's what I wish more people knew about Kansas City and not think that we're just Kansas. This is not <laughs> the Wizard of Oz, not Dorothy. Kansas just started building itself out because Kansas didn't exist the way that it does today. Exactly. I want a lot of people to know that. Kansas City, the home of the Chiefs, <laughs> the Royals. Yes, yes. That's where we are. And that's that's a growing, we are a growing, strong city. So, you know, if you're thinking about coming to live here or starting a business here, come through. And despite what people may think, this is not a small town, you know, oh. I think what is great about it is what you said is e able, easily, you're easily able to touch you know the important parts of the city which makes it feel small but we have almost 500,000 residents here so this is not a small city by any means and there is a lot to do a lot and it, it does depend on who you know um there is some a lot of things that I don't know about Kansas City and I've been here since I was a year old yeah. so I need to talk to you because there's probably some stuff that you can share with me I'd be like what really I didn't know we even had that <laughs> So what's your? I, I figure out new stuff every day too. Yeah. What's your favorite place to eat here? If you had so to pick one. It's gonna be one. hard for me to answer any. Tickets. Well, actually, you can share. You can share several if you got more than one. Yeah. So I'm a Libra. We me too. Moods. So whatever my favorite is depends on my mood. Okay. Um, you know, I love Kansas City because you can get real authentic food here. You can get real authentic um, Somalian food. You can get real authentic um, Mexican food or anything, Vietnamese food, you know, like I just discovered this Vietnamese coffee house, Cafe Cafe, and she's a strong supporter and ally of black businesses, black movement, everything. And so she was doing some pop-ups. Um, I would say that's one thing I've noticed about Kansi that I'm beginning to love is, you know, our resiliency in COVID. We are turning into pop-up city. And so my businesses are pop, doing pop-ups this past weekend. There was so many pop-ups and block parties going on to support small businesses and, and do different things, especially during Black History Month. I love to see that that collaboration um, in Kansas City amongst our small businesses. Um, but when it comes to my favorite place to eat, I mean, it just really depends. Like, again, our small authentic spots, you know, you got Misa, um, who I love for their fried plantains. Oh my God, they got this spicy coleslaw. Nobody makes it like them. Wow. Um, I used to go to lunch a lot with my parents when I worked with them and, and they were always either supporting black businesses or small local businesses, depending on the day of the week. You know, most places aren't open. Your authentic places aren't open on Mondays. Doesn't happen. If you're in an authentic restaurant, you're open from Tuesday to Sunday. You are not open on Mondays. I don't know what that's about, but that's how Kansas City operates. Okay. Um, 
So Misa was definitely one place. Um, Shy Shy, um, you know, there, I mean, what was it, Urban Cafe. Like we have so many new small shops, especially vegan, because my parents are vegan. So I've got introduced to a lot of vegan spots over the years. Um, I'm a big supporter of uh, uh, Chef McAfee, Shanita McAfee, you know, with Magnolias. And now she's doing a new venture to Prospect. And she did a pop-up with Casey Daffrey Shop, another Black-owned business around the corner from here um, for a Creole pop-up brunch. Um, you know, it just really kind of depends who can, who can make something for me that I like. And what I love about Kansas City, especially when I was eating with my parents, with them being vegetarians, when, once they went someplace and they were a regular, they could order whatever they wanted. And so people would cater to them and say, okay, what do you want? We don't have it on the menu, but what can I make you? And there wow. were places where we used to go where we would be the only people drinking tea because we were such strong tea drinkers when we go out that they started putting it on their menu or they got cups and things just for us. So if you are a loyal customer to these small businesses or these restaurants here, they will cater to you and they will remember you and they just give you this experience um, that I've never gotten anywhere else except for if I'm traveling across the world and you know, you're somewhere where tourism is big and they're really trying to cater to you because they want your money. But to have that here in my hometown, is, is, it's like being on a vacation every day when I go eat. It's just like I'm somewhere else. Yeah, so if you're getting that type of experience and that type of service, why wouldn't you go back and go back repeatedly? Right. And I need to talk to you offline because I want to try some vegan stuff myself. I don't know how open I am to it because I'm I'm not very adventurous when it comes to food, but I'm willing to try it at least one time. (laughs) And then if it don't work out for me, I won't do it again, but I'll try it at least once. (laughs) So do you have a favorite place to shop here? same um i'm a consignment store shopper if it's not on clarence yeah i said clarence clarence like the <laughs> um or if it's not in a consignment shop um then i might go to our different shopping areas like of course i, I definitely go to the plaza because i have my few stores that i go to, to to shop at when you talk about mainstream but like small business type kansas city we like west bottoms um oh my god just full of consignment shops full of uh, novelty stores where they just sell just a variety of different things or people who make stuff or people who are selling or reselling stuff um, you know it's just really dope in the bottoms how they you know took taking these warehouses and they turned them into these retail shops and so like when I was mentioning one of the pop-ups that was one of the places we were so there's a Vietnamese uh, coffee shop cafe cafe in the bottoms next door to a novelty shop and in her space she's got so much room she was doing pop-ups for other businesses, particularly Black-owned businesses for the month of February. And so it just allows you to kind of shop and try different things. But in my role, what I do, since I see these businesses in the very, very beginning, oh, I get all type of discounts and deals to come shop with them. Um, oh, okay. It's like, again, what's my mood? What do I feel like doing? What, do I, what am I shopping for? Like, am I shopping for someone who's, you know, I'm giving gifts, then I'll go to my Made in KC stores or, you know, so I can shop local. Um, or I'll go to a pop-up or I'll go to a consignment shop. I, it, again, Kansas City has a variety of different things. It's not like just going to Macy's and being like, okay, that's it. No. Right. That's probably one of the last places you're going to go, depending on what type of shopper you are or your style within itself. But Kansas City, you can find a little bit of everything here. Maker. Just cook you some stuff or some, you know, just finding something off the rack. Okay. Now, what about hanging out? Where's some some cool places to hang out in Kansas City? 
if you're the type that likes to hang out. So I'm an adult now. <laughs> so you know, when you get when you when you get to your late 30s, start hitting your 40s. Depending on where you are in your career, you stop going to the clubs and you start going to the bars. Or you know, and like Kansas City has a lot of new bars that have popped up that are real social type bars um, for the professionals, for the non-professionals, um, upscale, mid-grade, you know, however it may be, cigar bars, rum bars, um, especially in COVID-19, I've seen a lot more pop up or get creative. Like, you know, we had one spot, the Fontaine that had the igloos. So, you know, it's cold outside, but you got a private igloo for you and your friends to kind of, you know, um, socialize and drink and have a good time. Um, Man, where, okay. have, where have I been? I don't even know anything about it. They're here. It depends wow. on who you know. We ain't hung out. That's why. We got to <laughs> yeah, we gotta hang out. Because I, I consider myself to be knowledgeable. Clearly, I'm not. I mean, it just depends on where you go. You know, AT Divine is, has definitely had some different transitions in restaurants and bars down there. There's more development that's happening. So I'm a little excited for what new places may pop up. You know, I would love to see a space where that was catered specifically to black professionals because, you know, that's been an issue in Kansas City. You know, a couple of years back, there was an article about black professionals leaving Kansas City because they didn't feel welcome. They didn't know where their people were. They didn't know where to go to go get entertained. And a lot of places in Kansas City, you know, were getting criticized for the type of music that they played or didn't play when, you know, black people would show up. Um, and so there's a huge need, if anybody's out there listening, we need a spot for black professionals to go feel comfortable um, yes. regardless of how they dress and feel safe as well. Um, and to be able to socialize and have a good time amongst ourselves if we wanted to, or amongst others. But a lot of times we're the only ones in the room. And if it's too many of us in the room, they'll change the music. But when it's just a few of us in the room, they are gonna play the same music that they gonna claim as well. We play this music and it attracts certain people and it causes issues. That's a lot. Um, you play what you want to play when you want to play it. Right. And when you mix alcohol with people, things are going to happen. Um, but beyond, since that's happened, there's definitely been a, a lot of new places that have kind of popped up, these new type of um, theme bars. And, you know, these hotels are adding new bars and things to it. So the social scene when it comes to happy hours or after hours, um, because, you know, Kansas City has a lot of attorneys and developers and engineers these professionals don't want to be in the clubs. They want to just go have a happy hour, socialize, and you know, go to a networking event. There are a lot of places here that can do that. And as it gets warmer in Kansas City, they move outside. They have block parties. There's First Fridays. So in the summertime and the springtime, there's so many places you can go and to socialize and hang out. There's the parks. There's the museums. Shoot, I just got a new Nelson Atkins Museum membership, so I'm going to go hit the museum up. I mean, it's just, you don't have to just drink. You don't have to just shop. Culturally, there's so much to see in Kansas City uh, where you can hang out and have a good time, whether it's a park, a museum, uh, crossroads, the, the arts district, walking down an alleyway and seeing a bunch of murals um, or just having a beer on the sidewalk. It's, it's, it's a lot of variety here. You got options in Kansas City. So if you live... If you live in Kansas City and you feel like there's nothing to do, Nia just named a whole slew of things, opportunities for you to do stuff. And if you don't live here, you got family here and you haven't visited them, you need to come to Kansas City and see what we have to offer because there's a lot of things, a lot of big gems that are here as well. 
So we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to dive into some personal stuff. Now, you and I also share this in common. In addition to us both living in Kansas City, we work for the same employer. You and I are both divorced. And the question I have is, how did you navigate divorce? And also, what advice would you give to women who are maybe in the process of doing that or recently divorced and may be struggling with this new chapter of life that they're entering into or currently mm-hmm. in? I'm still navigating divorce. Um, just because you put it on paper, feelings don't go away, situations don't go away. You know, I, I have children with my ex-husband, um, so I still have to co-parent, we still have to communicate. You still have to maintain a relationship. No matter how angry you are, you still have to maintain that. Um, I realized after divorce, what all I was putting into the marriage and what all I was giving up on myself. And if I was still in a marriage, I probably would not have taken this role with the city because I would have taken on a lot of considerations or compromise for the best sake of him being the man of the house and the head of the household and the breadwinner and the provider. Um, you know, I, I, I respond to roles. I do think that there, it is necessary for a male and female in a relationship, if, if that is the relationship that you have and you're parenting, that everybody has a role, whether it's same sex or not, because there has to be some balance to it, um, especially when you're raising children, um, because it can be completely draining as a woman in the, in, the, in the relationship. If I'm working and taking care of kids, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and then I'm expected still to be a wife and still to be to, to address the needs of my husband. It's difficult when you don't get the help. Um, but as far as like navigating divorce, um, things that I did to help me or rediscover me and re-love myself, because that was something I felt like I gave up or it got ripped from me. Um, especially as I'm aging, um, you know, got a therapist. Um, definitely get a therapist. I probably have a therapist for the rest of my life, period. Um, just being a black woman, I need a therapist. Married or not, the trauma is there that we have as black people. Yes. Get the therapist. I had to learn, I had to learn, the, the biggest thing I had to learn in, in the divorce was uh, reestablishing or rebuilding my relationship with women, particularly black women. Because I was dealing with a lot of things that were unacceptable in a marriage. And it came from other women. But I had to accept the fact that somebody opened that door. And women especially whatever state that they're in, whether it's a good state, a bad state, usually attack when they're in a bad state and you don't know what they're going through. And they're always going to be there. There's always going to be those messy women or things like that. But if that person keeps opening that door, my, my partner can't close that door and, and just keep it between me and them. That's going to be an issue. And so in my marriage, I became very insecure walking into a room and seeing a bunch of women without thinking, oh my God, like who's talking to who? Is she trying to come for my husband? You know, because I got, I got, I got stabbed in the back a lot that way. And I had a lot of women who smiled in my face and were coming from, you know, coming from my man behind my back, you know, whether he opened the door or not, there were still those women who wanted to be near me because they wanted what I had. And it caused me to have an ill relationship with women, particularly black women at the time, because I felt like I was fighting them to fight for my marriage and I was fighting against them. And so I had to learn how, and I'm learning to reestablish my relationship with black women because I need black women in my life right now. I need us to stick together. Um, 
and then overall just women in general um but therapy has helped me with that um i i got a trainer and you know as expensive as it was what i got out of it was better eating habits i feel much healthier and in shape you know i have a small frame and people are like oh you're skinny you don't need it don't mean i'm healthy you know and i'm a black woman i want some curves right i didn't get the blessings that all black women got I like black men. Black men like curves. I, I wish I could <laughs> I donate. Too, you know? I wish I could donate now some look, of mine I'm to you. Look, right hip, left hip, right <laughs> cheek, left cheek. I'm taking all donations. All day. <laughs> right breast, left breast. Hey, I need breast three kids. You know? I, I, that actually helped me to love myself as I am at this age because I'm not 20 something anymore so moving forward if you want to be in a relationship with me you're going to accept me as I am and accept me getting older you know I don't have time to play these games or walk around with you know wearing different things I I'm, I'm an adult I'm grown so I had to learn or I am learning to rebuild myself love myself relearn myself and where I want to go reestablishing goals um, like I said, getting the therapist, working out, um, using those things as an alternative in, instead of numbing myself, because it's easy for us to numb ourselves with drinking or whatever, whatever just stops that, that feeling at the time. And I had to figure out something else so I wouldn't pick up any bad habits. And so I could still be focused and attentive as a mother, um, that helped me and exercising actually made a big difference in, in helping to do that especially when there's triggers or things like that you can't focus exercise do a push-up do 10 push-ups and see how that makes you feel but another thing that i'm learning that's really helping is meditation um and breathing and staying present um and there's a lot of things that i learned through therapy through you know with my psychiatrist or with my therapist or my counselor I, i've had a variety um but learning how to be present breathing meditating and, and controlling your thoughts and your emotions are very, very vital to your success when you're dealing with a lot of emotional stress, um, especially as a single woman. And so those were those are the things that have, are helping me get through this process. I mean, it, it's been a few years, but there's, there's still a process. And how long were you married? Uh, it, it would have been six years. Um, and the anniversary for our six years, we I had to go to court maybe two days later to actually finalize the divorce. So I would say about five years before we actually, before I actually filed. And I was in 2018. Wow. So yeah, I did the filing, got a new job. <laughs> Just kept it moving. You don't you don't realize the blessings that come once you get that weight off of you. Regardless yes. of what that weight is. Not to, not to talk bad on him or anything. There was a weight on me. And it, it's, it's all you. It's not what the other person brings. It's what you allow them to bring. Mm. So take that accountability within yourself and take that weight off. So you're not blocking your blessings. And so, so many things have started or come my way since then. I'm just, I'm just extremely grateful. So I really appreciate your candor because one thing that you talked about, which is something that I've wanted to talk about on the podcast and I haven't yet, the things that happen between black women oftentimes and how we treat each other, how we disrespect each other. Yes. Um, we all know that some of that comes from folks who don't look like us, but it also sometimes mm-hmm. happens with people who look like us. So how do we begin, and, and you talked a little bit about your experience, but 
and not even just in terms of disrespect in terms of love relationships but sometimes we're very competitive and try to hold each other back when we're trying to move up the career ladder what in your opinion and this is just your opinion what is that about what where does that come from because it, it it is really bothersome for me because i like to see trauma. trauma it's trauma, trauma. Um, that's what I'm learning in my therapy. It's trauma. You know, we all are dealing with some different type of trauma that are causing us to be the way that we are, whether it's competitive or vindictive. Usually that's, there's some pain associated with that. Mm. You know, I'm doing this because I'm angry about this. I'm upset about this. Or I was sexually assaulted when I was younger. And so I'm promiscuous or I, I use sex as a way to cope, you know, Sometimes it really has nothing to do with the other woman. It, it has everything to do with the woman herself and what she's dealing with. And I'm learning through therapy that, you know, other people are dealing with other things, don't take it so personal. And if we stop taking it personal and start to open our eyes and our ears to say, what do you need? What's going on? And that's why I said therapy is a must. If we all, all, you know, checked in with ourselves. Whether you go to therapy once a year just as a checkup or you see the monthly or whatever, learn to discover yourself and your trauma and fix that so that you can become a better person so we can have a better society. It's, nobody's gonna be perfect, hell, I'm not perfect, but I'm learning and I'm correcting those wrong, those ill ways because I don't want that. Now that I see what it looks like on the other side, no, that's not how I wanna be. Now that I'm divorced, I don't want to be that woman. I don't want to be a person that is a homewrecker or is, I, I mean, if a man is married, no, sir, we will not have continue this conversation without your wife present. If I'm in the presence of a man and his wife, I, I will speak to his wife first. It's respect. Right. It's, it's, it's common courtesy. It's like, we expect men to be gentlemen. We should be ladies. Yes. And if we, if we instill that into our children more and into ourselves, I think we can change the way we interact with one another change society in a way we just need better morals and values within our own culture so that we show better respect for one another we're not competing because we've been set up to compete and that's all from trauma whether it's from your immediate family or from years back to what they've done to us over these 400 or so years that put us in this position to compete with one another versus working with one another because they win when we don't work with one another exactly so i think if we fix the trauma and educate ourselves on our own history as a why, light skin, dark skin, this, that, you know, why is that? Why yes. is that? Let's correct that and be better human beings to one another. And I think as a culture, we could win. If we get that out the way, we could win. But I don't expect that to be fixed overnight. But trauma, True. in my opinion, it's just trauma. And I definitely agree with you. I'm, and you're the second guest that I've had on that has talked about the benefit of therapy because you know black folks forever many of us have assumed that no I don't want to go talk to anybody because that means I'm crazy no it doesn't it means that you have something just like all of us that you need help trying to work through and that sometimes healing, don't even know what that is right and they can help you to, to figure it out sometimes it goes all the way back to your childhood oh. something that happened when you were seven years old five years old and you're still carrying it and, you know, it's just reality. Not all of us have that wisdom to be able to see what that is and don't know how to, even if we do know what it is, don't know how to work through it. So I'm so glad that you're talking about right. the benefit of, of therapy. It is, it is definitely a benefit and it's something that 
people who don't look like us, they they do it all the time. I mean, at, and have, <laughs> at, yes. So why not take advantage of it? So I'm, I'm so appreciative that you talked about that. And you also said something about, you know, what you can we can teach our children. So what is it that you are teaching your children now about being black? I mean, first I'm trying to get them to see that when things don't work out, it doesn't mean it's the end. Um, it's very, very important uh, to me and my ex-husband that our children see us happy, um, embracing each other, um, so that they learn the importance of relationships. Um, and and I have two sons and a daughter. So with my sons, you know, at first I was like, I failed. I haven't, you know, provided them with a great, you know, a great father for my, my oldest son. And then, you know, my, my youngest son and daughter, you know, it didn't work out. Like, I, I'm supposed to do this right. How can I not do this right? Especially when, you know, you come from a household where you have two parents. And my parents have been together since high school. And so we live in different times where things like that just don't happen all the time. It's very rare. And people aren't getting married that young. They're getting married later. You know, unless you're marrying your high school sweetheart. And so we're just living in different times, different challenges. And, you know, I think that what I'm what I'm trying to teach them is, you know, relationships are important, black, white, whatever. But what I'm teaching them about being black, um, and the one that I'm having the most conversation with is my oldest son, because we're now he's at he's 16, he's, he wants to drive. And I was like, look, I'm gonna just be real honest with you. I'm that mama, I'll burn down this whole goddamn city. I will be terrified. I mean, like, somebody's going to pay. I'm not going to stand around. I know too many people. I will have too many people on the hook for this. Like, if somebody didn't make something happen, I'm going to be the one flipping the car. Mm-hmm. I don't need you driving yet, right? And then explain to him why that is. I, I've had to explain to my son several times, like, hey, there's certain things you can't say around your white doctor. You know, you can't say certain things. You can't make jokes like, oh, nah, you, you, you didn't whoop me like you whooped them or you, you didn't beat me like you beat them. So, Ain't nobody beat you. Right. I said, but you can't say that. If I understand you're exaggerating, you know. You're, you're, you know, I didn't get after you like, I didn't get after the kids like I got after you because, you know, two different two different generations, right, so to speak. Y'all got a big gap, but I'm older. But you can't, you know, you can't say those different things because how she's going to interpret that is, oh, you beat him. No, 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 no. I said, Steve, sir, you can't, you can't say that because she's not going to interpret it the same way. And as a professional, she has to listen for those things and report that. Right. And while you're joking about it in front of her, I was like, don't talk no more. Like, stop. And when she left the room, I had to explain to him, you cannot say those things. You can't joke like that because they're going to take a little bit different because they don't talk the same way you do. Yes. We can't make those type of jokes. That might be too harsh for them to say you know some of the things we might say might be too harsh or too insensitive for them to say we just we normalize different things and so i've been trying to get my son to understand that you know throughout his education career like hey when you do things when you act out or anything it's going to be seen very differently and i've also had to defend my son over the years he's smart he's bored he ain't gonna sit still in his seat all day and day. You know, find him something to do. It's so frustrating. And I've had teachers or schools try to put my son on that path to jail. And I've had to really get in people's behinds about that. No, wow. you will not do that. You will not ruin my son because he doesn't sit still the way that you want him to. Not that he don't do his work, 
not that he in there beating people up, none of that. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. And so, you know, with all the stuff that happened during COVID-19 and, you know, with the riots and things like that, having to talk to my son about that, having him watch it and see it, um, you know, making sure he talked to his father about it. Um, you know, it's just, you have to talk to your children about all these different things, but you have to keep reminding them that the world don't like you mm-hmm. and the world is against you and you have to fight every day. And I'm fighting for you every day. Um, don't, don't ignore it. Don't get too comfortable and don't ever think you accept it because you're not. Right. Somebody will always remind you of who they think you are and just be ready for that and be ready to correct them. So stay on your P's and Q's, get your things right, keep your things in order, and please don't make your mama tear this city down because it will be no Kansas City for anybody to visit if that's the case. And y'all, as, as you hear her saying that, believe it because I have seen and I have been in the room with Nia she means every word of it and this city would no longer be would be like what happened to Kansas City I, it, it was here but Nia you know it's she, all on the map. gone it's KCK, KCK. KCK. <laughs> so y'all heard it here if you ever look up on CNN and they say Kansas City is gone chances are Nia Richardson got rid of it because they they was messed. They came for her family or her, and she ain't having it. Her parents, it, it, it ain't happening. <laughs> it ain't happening. <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed this conversation because you talked about so much that is important for us being black, what it means to be an entrepreneur, getting the help that we need, and relationships, collaborations, and partnerships, and so much about Kansas City that even I didn't know. But the last question I have for you, you do so much in the community, at work, you have a busy life with your family, but what is next on the horizon for you? If, if you had to, to summarize it, what is, what is the next big thing for Nia Richardson? Nia Richardson, with her role with the city of Kansas City, is, is trying to make Kansas City the city of entrepreneurs. Um, my goal is to make it easy for people to start businesses in Kansas City, encourage people to come to Kansas City to start their business. Um, everybody needs a side hustle. Um, you know, when I went to, I went to uh, Ghana, West Africa um, two years ago and black folks in Africa, everybody hustling. You really? can all be selling the same damn thing on the same block. Everybody hustling. Wow. You could be in traffic. It's like Walmart, right there at your at your disposal. Everybody's hustling. Entrepreneurship. Everybody's got a, you know, this is this is how you live. Entrepreneurship was not a thing. It was a way of life. You wanted okay. to survive. You gotta make something, do something, work somewhere. You you gotta do something. And I was so excited and, and so invigorated by that. I was like, wow, this is this is what I needed to see. This is everybody can do this if they really wanted to, and it is a way of survival. You, you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. You, you probably should be doing something on the side. You probably you probably could do something on the side, um, or you probably could do something full time. Um, and you know, entrepreneurship is maybe for some people, not for all, because it's a little bit different in America than it is in Africa. Right. Um, and what you need and how you gotta have things structured and all the legalities of it, it's, it can become very a very complicated maze. Um, but my my job and what I want to do is just really make it easy for people to start businesses. And like I said, I'm trying to close that racial wealth gap. And if I can make Kansas City the city of entrepreneurs, 
I think organically it could be that new black Mecca, like Atlanta. It could be not even just for black folks, for, you know, brown, you know, whatever, Asian. It could be that place for all of us where we can all thrive. Um, and so what's on the horizon for me, you know, if I'm, you know, still blessed to, to work for the city, praying about these budget cuts, um, and continue to do what I'm doing, that's my goal. I want to make Kansas City the, the city of entrepreneurs. And I want to use leverage that to close the racial wealth gap so that people think of Kansas City, especially black folks, as a place to come live, thrive, play, grow, um, and just be. And, and not have to worry about some of the things that you have to worry about in other places. And I think with COVID-19 and all these natural disasters that are happening on the coastlines where people normally gravitate to, people are kind of coming inland. I mean, the most we deal with is snow, maybe a tornado on the Kansas side, but right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's really it. It's not a natural disaster where we, we wake up the next day and our homes are completely washed off into the sea. You know, so I think there's some advantages of being in the middle, the heart. Um, of, of the country and and we have a lot of assets here that can make it very valuable or made very easy for people to start a business and so my next big thing or the thing that i'm working on that i would love to see big happen would be creating making kansas city known as the city of entrepreneurs well that's something i'm super excited about as well because in having the opportunity to work with you and i didn't say this when we started out but i get the opportunity to sort of support nia in the work that she does for the city of kansas city and i am really excited about the possibility of kansas city becoming the city of entrepreneurs and i believe that we'll get there with your leadership and one other thing i want to mention is later this month Nia is going to be featured in the Casey Moore magazine. For those of you who live in Kansas City or in the, the greater metropolitan area, there is going to be an article in there about Nia and the work that she's done with Casey BizCare. And it talks about the evolution of the office from where they started when they opened in 2009 to where they are now. And it's a phenomenal story. And it's also phenomenal, I'm saying. I also wrote the story, but that ain't why it's phenomenal. Casey BizCare is really helping a lot of businesses to survive and thrive and she's done a lot of amazing things even just in this past year with COVID-19. They've got a new website and other things that are on the horizon like the back office support that Nia is talking about. So Nia, I'm so appreciative that you decided to join me on the podcast and give people some insight into what you do at work but also your other life because you know we're not not all just work we're made up yeah. of other things as well so i think we have given people an opportunity to get to know more about you and the human side of you yeah i'm human <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all are aren't we yeah but yeah. but thank you for joining me on gumbo nights with miss handy and i definitely want to have you on in the future i hope that you've enjoyed being here I did. Thank you. And I appreciated all your candor, and I learned so many things. And I know my audience did as well. So thank you, thank Nia. You, thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed yet another one of our conversation episodes with our special guest today, Ms. Nia Richardson. 
I don't know about you, y'all, but I felt like everything that Nia said was real, raw, and riveting. And you can expect to have more of those conversations happen right here on Gumbo Nights. For those of you who may not be familiar with this podcast, it's available on all of the major platforms. And you can find me, your host, Miss Tamala Handy, on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Clubhouse under Tamala Handy as well, and on Instagram under the name Miss Handy. I would love to connect with all of you, and I'd also love it if you would share a rating of the podcast on Apple Podcast. As always, please continue to listen, like, comment, share, and subscribe, and whatever you do. Make sure that you have a fantastic week and join me right back here for the next episode.